Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen. I'm Jennifer Griego. Today I am here with a very good friend of mine, Steve Peebles. I've met him through hunting with Wounded Warrior Outdoors. He um, makes a lot of prosthetics for the Warriors, and he has his own prosthetics company called Peebles Prosthetics. And we're also here with my dad. So, how's it going, guys? Good. Good. How are you today? Doing good. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen you. How you been doing? I've been busy, just uh, traveling, been on a few trips with uh, with the guys, been doing a little bit of fishing with them, and, and just working, you know, around the clock whenever I'm back here in, in Kansas. And where in Kansas are you, Steve? Yeah, we're, we're down in Wichita, Kansas. Um, awesome. So kind of south central. Awesome. Awesome. And tell us, how was the, you just did the Alaska yeah. fishing adventure with the Wounded Warrior Outdoors. How'd that go? You were a chaperone. That's yeah. kind of dangerous. Yeah, I know. I was kind of surprised that Ron let me chaperone. I was like, "Are you sure? Are you sure about this? Is there a mistake?" And <laughs> I, you know, I checked his breath, and he hadn't been drinking. So, um, you know, it was it was it was quite an honor. You know, we had uh, it was the first time um, up to a new lodge called Kingfisher Lodge um, up outside of Craig, Alaska. So it was deep sea fishing for halibut and salmon and. You know, all the guys caught big kings and caught halibut, and it was just an unbelievable place. And the guys just, uh, you know, there was uh, five warriors, so it was, you know, pretty intimate. Got to know each other really well and got to see a lot of magic happen with their healing. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. What was the biggest halibut caught? Um... They weren't huge. The ones we were after, uh, we had a couple of people that couldn't stand the rough waters out where the big ones were. So I believe it was 46 pounds. It's good eating nice. size. Yeah, it was perfect, perfect size. And how was the uh, king salmon fishing? The kings were pretty good. Um, you know, we were, they were out in a little bit deeper water too, out in the rougher water. We hit quite a few early on, some small ones, and then started trying to work out into some deeper uh, water outside of some coves, and uh, um, we're starting to get lots of lots of hits. We weren't landing much, and then um, a couple of the guys got got a little bit sick. Um, so you know, it was one of those things. Make note for next time to take a little scopolamine or something with us to ease that for the guys. Right. But, you know, being on those trips, we just didn't want to keep them out in that rough water and with, mm. with the different injuries and stuff. But it was phenomenal. Had a great time. Caught some crabs. Had you know, crabs for dinner. That's tough to beat, isn't it? Those fresh crabs oh, yeah. are so good. Yeah, it was pretty neat. It was neat to have them actually pull in the pots and and the, you know, the chef that was uh, cooking everything actually made uh, each uh, warrior his own lobster for an appetizer one night. So it was just phenomenal. Oh, I wish I had that. Hey, Dad, I want to get on that real quick. <laughs> Jennifer's getting jealous. <laughs> lobster. Yeah, we did that up in on Kodiak on a deer hunt. We had some uh, king crab, freshly caught. Man, boiled in salt water, you know, ocean oh water. Oh It is, it is a different, totally different and improved flavor compared to what you get that's been previously frozen. Just unbelievable. Yeah, it's like the perfect, perfect amount of salt. Perfect everything. Did you guys have any butter that you got to melt down with them? Yeah, they they took very good care of us on that boat we were on a nice. houseboat deal and then did the took the little zodiacs to the island to do the deer hunting but we ate like kings and it was funny i think we caught like four big king crab and um 
ate them and, and you know the we were like oh my gosh we're gonna eat, i'm gonna eat this whole crab well i think there were <laughs> six of us eating and we ate like one crab and that's all we, i mean yeah. they, he had all the other sides but we were just devouring this king crab like we hadn't eaten before in our lives and uh, we uh-huh. ate one crab between the six of us and we were all completely bloated and stuffed by the time we were done with it Oh, yeah, and that's kind of what this was like. We didn't have kings, but we had Dungeness uh, crabs, so they were, you know, obviously a lot smaller. Yeah. But the guys, you know, by the time they finished that, and then they had a halibut for us that night uh, that we had caught the same day, um, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of rolling around and groaning and not a lot of uh, <laughs> kind of cut back on the drinking right after dinner for a couple of the guys, so good night. <laughs> well, that's saying something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, getting back to prosthetics, well, I guess getting to prosthetics, we haven't really talked about it yet. Um, (laughs) The first, like, real Wounded Warrior hunt I went on, you were there, and um, you kind of helped me put, like, do a prosthetic for Josh. And and this was in Kentucky, right? Yeah, in Kentucky on the turkey hunt, and you were kind of, you had the trailer there, and you were kind of fitting him for one, and you let me help, which was kind of a little risky on your part, but I didn't (laughs) mess it up. You didn't let me do anything that was too important. But it was really cool to learn about all that stuff. And I did a project in school later that we made prosthetics, but it really wasn't prosthetics. We had, like, duct tape and cardboard, and that's how we made our prosthetics. But um, it was really cool to do that and learn kind of from you. So how did you originally get into working with prosthetics? Yeah, so originally, it, it was kind of one of those God things. You know, I, uh, my life early on revolved around sports and athletics, mm-hmm. and I uh, did the calf on in college and uh that was decathlon is that what you said you did decathlon yeah okay decathlon yeah yeah. and uh uh was running at texas tech um which you know those of us from there considered the lord's the lord's team and uh and school but i tore up my hamstring um as a sophomore we went to a little i mean so you know you're thinking about big things and i was i was really fast a really good jumper and pretty explosive out of high school so um, my dad ended up, you know, I got to where uh, I tore up my hamstring, so I decided I wasn't going to run track because I didn't want to get beat by anybody in the Southwest Conference. This is before the Big 12, hmm. obviously, and uh, it just my ego, I don't think, would have handled it. So, <laughs> like, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to let one of these guys beat me. So my dad called me up from um, his office one day, and we, I grew up in a little town just, I was born in Scottsdale, and then uh, we moved to West Texas when I was five. And so my dad uh, called me up from his office and was like, Steve, you know, what are you thinking you're going to do? I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know, Dad. And he said, uh, you know, I think you ought to get some business experience. And, of course, I said, that's a great idea, not knowing that uh, he had already had something lined up. So he and what kind of work did your dad said, do, Steve? What kind of office would he um, do? Well, you know, he mostly... Uh, traded foreign currencies, and had a wholesale ceramics business. Um, when he retired from Motorola, he was young and uh, wanted to move us kids basically out into the country to teach, and there's just two of us, my sister Shannon and I, to teach us what a dollar was. Um, so, you know, the day my sister graduated, uh, he uh, walked away, and <laughs> I don't know that he's been back uh, other than the check on some farms and stuff. Uh, back in that area. So he had a ceramics business that was uh, delivered wholesale ceramic supplies out into New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, kind of a big region that uh, he had. So 
had that in form, so there was always something for us to be doing. But uh, but he called me in and uh, said he had a number I needed to call. He thought that I had a job lined up if I didn't mess it up and to go talk with this, this guy. Well, it turned out to be a guy that he had shot trap with um, um, when he was a little bit younger. And uh, the couple that worked for him had a son that wanted me to play on a company basketball team. And it was Lubbock Orthotic and Prosthetic Center. They're not there anymore. But so I went in and basically started sweeping floors and cleaning bathrooms. And I'd been around the plasters and the stuff that we used to make prosthetics and orthotics all my life. So it was just kind of a God thing. I, you know, I have to be really good at it. And in no time, I moved up and was building a lot of braces and helping with legs for, you know, uh, several different offices that they had. Oh, that's really cool. Um, for prosthetics, do you have to go to, like, like a school or like a class to like learn how to make them and stuff or do you, do you just kind of like get into it yeah so yeah there's a, there's a um, post-grad program so you go to college get your undergrad then their master's programs um is what they are so they're just two-year programs um uh, going over just obviously prosthetics and orthotics and it's both of them and then you do a two-year residency you do a residency in orthotics and a residency in prosthetics and it used to be when i was there I did both orthotics and prosthetics, but you could choose one. Now they combine them, all of the schools, um, you, you do both um, of the programs at the same time, which is kind of nice that you get all of the basic stuff. You don't have to have the same thing over and over for each program. Um, you know, it just makes a lot more sense getting it getting it all and getting a lot more thorough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so when you started working for that, like we kind of grew up, um, like around them and then but got into it how long was it before you started uh people's prosthetics oh gosh i guess it was uh i've been it was nearly 13 years so i worked at the prosthetic shop uh through college and uh I, you know i wasn't real sure what i wanted to do i, I knew i didn't really want to go out into the real world so mm-hmm. i ended up with 232 undergraduate hours and uh uh a couple of pieces of paper by the time it was all said and done, and then uh, went to school in Connecticut, and then uh, did my residency up there. And so it was, I guess, 14 years from the time I started till I opened my own. And I opened my own back in 2002, I believe. Oh, wow. And what were you in Kansas at that time, too? Um, yeah, I've been working for my now competition, which is one of the, it's the world's largest uh, prosthetic suppliers. So I was working for them and uh, just wasn't really seeing eye to eye on what materials, do, little stuff, and uh, decided it was better for me to go off and take my uh, ideas and the kind of the silly ways of doing things and the way I looked at things and open up my own my own business. So you kind of made it decided to take it off on your own just because you wanted like things sound like a certain way and to change things up a little bit from how you're doing it before yeah exactly um i didn't want to have anybody you know i looked at it as i was the professional mm-hmm. um and i was the expert in, in everything and i saw the patients i didn't um, the company that i was working for was wanting me to start using certain feet certain types of um plastic certain things and um i it, it wasn't what i was going to do for my mom or my grandmother and that was kind of my line, you know, once somebody started telling me how I was going to do something, it, it really wasn't going to work out for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so like you said, you started in 2002, right? Uh-huh. 
So, um, like I said, I met you through WWO. So when did you um, kind of get involved with them and the Warriors? Yeah, so I got involved with them about four years ago through Matt Amos. And uh, the trip that you were on mm-hmm. was the first time that we had taken the trailer uh, to build Lim out of. Oh, um, and so, you know, it's just getting started kind of helping out. And just, you know, I've always told them just use me, don't use me, whatever, whatever I can do for them. I'm happy to do, you know, I don't want to push anything on anybody, but if somebody gets to a point where they're struggling and they have a relationship where they, you know, want me to look at stuff, I'm there to help. And if something breaks, it's nice to have me there to look at things. So it was kind of interesting the first couple of trips that I went on, just watching people walk and making little changes. And, you know, I might see, um, you know, Josh, for instance, walking a little bit, um, where I think his foot needs to be slid out just a little bit because it's making his knee, um, you know, he's getting a little bit of a varus moment, so he's bow-legged when he's walking. So I could, you know, tell Matt, hey, why don't you say something to Josh and see if he'll let me just tweak that a little bit, you know, without doing anything. Or, you know, I should, the last thing I want to do on any of those trips is give any of the guys or, or gals that are there, um, I don't want them losing any kind of confidence with who they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's difficult if somebody's coming to Kansas, that's not everybody's, you know, well, I know it's hard to believe that it's not the, the prosthetic capital of the world, the <laughs> medical capital of the world, but if they're coming to Kansas, you know, they've been through quite a bit yeah. to the point to want to come see me, and so I don't want to mess up any confidence, and I don't, you know, I want them to know if we end up doing something or playing with something, it's, I'm not going to tell anybody, or it's just about getting them doing better, so we'll make a lot of sockets, and you know, it's turned into something that's been kind of fun. So people that aren't real sure about what they have, we can just, you know, play around with some stuff and see if we can make things a little bit better. And I've uh, been pretty fortunate that we've been able to do that, mm-hmm. that for them. Yeah, that's so awesome. And it is kind of, it is really cool to see prosthetics firsthand. I know a lot of people hear about them, but it's been really cool for me to see um, the Warriors have them on and then, like, take them off and stuff like that, see them go through the whole thing, especially when you spend multiple days with them um but you kind of said earlier like <clears throat> you'll see little things about their prosthetics so and you kind of would go to matt and have them because he's a warrior and he's like friends with a lot of the warriors so when you see someone who like either doesn't have a prosthetic or the prosthetic you can tell like isn't the best or is maybe hurting them a little bit do you usually go up to them or matt how do you address that if you do it all yeah, so, you know, it's one of the, it's a trust thing, you know, it's the same as any other relationship. But I'm real aware of, I'm not, number one, I want them to trust me and know that there's not anything going to leave, you know, anything on that trip and let them know that I'm there for them. Mm-hmm. So some people will want to go and, you know, visit with Matt or he'll have visit with them and they're, they're struggling. And then others, you know, tell me everything is great until they get to know me. And it mm-hmm. may be two or three trips in before they know me well enough to say, you know, and even I just recently had one that, you know, everything's great. And then uh, by the end of the trip, you know, like, well, you know, this has actually really hurt me. This is giving me a trouble. Can you look at this? And next thing you know, they're, you know, they're flying out here to come see me and we make a prosthesis that actually, you know, hopefully is going to fit. And we've been pretty fortunate that they have fit a lot better and uh, they're able to functionally do a lot more than what they, you know, were doing before. So it's just a, it's a fine thing, you know, People are loyal to their prosthetist and don't want to think that they're getting, uh, you know, 
not perfect care. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that, uh, you know, it's the same as any other discipline. Um, there, there's a, a few people that approach things differently. The stuff that I do isn't by the book exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I put my own little spin on pretty much everything I come across or things don't make sense. Um, I just, I don't go down that road. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm sure your dad does a lot of those same things where it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's, he's successful at what he does because the things that are making him popular or, or sought after are the things that are also he's doing different than everybody else. And it's, he sees it clearly. I see it real clearly. It's not, you know, to me at all, it's common sense to everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think you're being, I think you're being humble, Steve. And, you know, it's certainly a very professional way to approach it. But a lot of the guys will, will say how much of an impact you've had in their lives. And, um, you know, you do, uh, I know that you see a lot of people the first time they show up at a Wounded War Outdoor camp and you see them struggling with their mobility or you look at their prosthetic and you don't want to criticize it. Um, but you look at it and go, I know I can help that guy if he asks me. And I think that the way that you and Ron and Matt and uh, the other veteran, you know, Wounded War Outdoor guys approach these guys, you're exactly right, to build their trust and, and uh, develop a relationship before you start to offer some assistance and um, several of those guys have told us over the years how how talented you are and how much you've impacted their lives and how much you've added to their to their experience you know with getting back to normal activities and doing the things they love to do I how much of it do you think is that um, a lot of guys when they show up they they just sort of they don't know what to expect right it's their first prosthetic limb or whatever and they don't they figure it's got to, it's supposed to feel a little uncomfortable. You know, they don't really understand what they're missing out on until they start to share the experience of someone who has a better scenario. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's the biggest thing is that you know you only know what you know, and mm-hmm. and so many of these, um, you know, it's mostly guys and gals on those trips, but predominantly you know males. Um, they've only had the foot that somebody's recommended to them. They've only had the need or going to the place that somebody that they look up to or they think good things about goes. And so, you know, getting outside of the box and doing things differently, you know, it's kind of word of mouth. And, and you know, we don't advertise. And, it, you know, for me, it's an honor just to be on those trips and be asked to go along. And, uh, you know, it's really professionally the, the neatest thing I'll, you know, I think I'll ever get to do, you know, is, go on these trips and help out but um, but it is something that takes time and that's also the thing that WWO uh, does is that you know it's not just a one trip here we're going to take you on a trip and 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 uh, you know oh that was fun going on a trip it's literally and, and you guys know because you've seen it mm-hmm. it's about them reaching goals and doing more and pushing their limits and that fellowship and, and family and camaraderie that you get but it's, it's, it's not just that one trip. It's something, okay, now we've got goals for this in the future. And so for me, it's, it's, a, it's a neat thing in that I get to see those people, be around them. Some people, they know they've got a junkie leg. They know they're not happy with it. You know, and they'll be right on, hey, can you peek at this? You know, I've heard about you doing this for this guy or whatever. And that's great. Others, it's, well, you know, I really don't want anybody, you know, knowing that I'm uh, – struggling like this and, and doing that stuff. And it may be three or four hunts um, or trips 
um, before they open up about that stuff, which is, you know, all of it breaks your heart and makes you sad. You know, these guys and gals, they deserve the absolute best mm. um, that they can possibly get. So it's just been an honor for me just to, you know, go on these trips and, and, and drag the trailer on and just give them, give them legs. I mean, we don't, you know, we do it um, just trying to get them into check sockets, and I've now got it set up so I can do carbon sockets while we're on the road which is just to make things a little bit neater. And, you know, and, and, and actually get involved in the whole process, which is which was fun for me to get to share, you know, kind of the things. I'm sure she's probably forgotten um, uh, some of the things that just that I look for and, and look at while making those legs. But she had her hands on every part and every step of the way. And that was, that's just fun for me. I mean, but that's my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it... I know you said it was uh, the trip I was on was the first trip you guys brought that uh, trailer on. And it's still like you guys say it's like portable prosthetics or whatever. But um, I'm honestly still kind of confused about it. What can you guys do in the trailer? Do you just cast people for a prosthetic or can you actually make the prosthetic there in the trailer? Yeah, we can make everything there in the trailer. Um, So the stuff that you did, you know, we cast with Josh. And basically, we had a couple of days where it was rainy, so things got a little bit slow on the hunting front. So we casted uh, Josh. Um, actually, ended up pouring his socket, and I carried plaster in there, so I poured his socket. And then I worked everything down by hand. Mm-hmm. And you'll see some of the CAD uh, stuff, and I've been really involved with a lot of the CAD cam technology and, and, and that stuff. I mean, eventually, I mean, I hope we get to where we can take a you know, the DICOM data from a CT or an MRI where I can really see what the real anatomy underneath the skin is doing and, and 3D print a, you know, a socket right there. But uh-huh. right now we're just not at that point. We do have a printer that I can take for, you know, I would scan a leg and then and then I could print, you know, print out a socket overnight, which is kind of nice. But we've got a big oven in there so we can vacuum form, a big vacuum pump that we can... Um, um, bubble form, which is, you know, letting plastic droop down like we did for Josh that day, and then uh, pulling it over a mold and then cutting off around the plastic and, um, you know, attaching it to a pylon and a foot so that he can walk around on it. But we can do pretty much the whole prosthesis, any socket, you know, the intimate part that fits their skin, we can do any of that or make any kind of brace um, out of that trailer um, right now. Now, different feet and those sizes, um, you know, on those trips. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at changing the feet or changing their knees. Um, and the reason is just, I, I, number one, it, it'd be logistically a real pain on carrying, you know, feet in different sizes for everybody. But the big thing is is that the, the socket that we make for them on those trips is the most important part. So that, that thing that, you know, Bob, you were talking about, that they, they're not comfortable you know, the sockets could be comfortable um, um, while they're wearing that thing. And there are some situations where they need to have revisions. But if we can get that socket comfortable, I don't want to change any other variables that may, you know, the liners, the feet, right. all mm-hmm. of those variables, if we push those aside and just work on the socket, well, anything that's better is just because of that socket. It's not because, okay, we've got a foot that moves more and they think it feels better, you know, because... Uh, you know, having your nerves cut, a lot of times what they think and what they fit for two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of yeah. along the lines of people not being comfortable 
in their prosthetics that they are given. Um, with those prosthetics, are they getting them from like the VA after they're injured? Um, or is it kind of they get them from a local place that they went to? Um, or is it kind of just like random either one? Yeah, so, I mean, I think they're, they're getting them from both. There's people that, uh, on those trips that get them at the VA. There's a lot of them that get them at private practices. Um, uh, there's lots of them that get them at local, you know, the VA clinics are putting more and more prosthetics inside the VA so they don't won't ship stuff out uh, mm-hmm. where they can keep it all in-house, which is, you know, a double-edged sword a lot of times for these, these young guys. But most of it is... Uh, done probably by private practice, probably 30% in the VA and 70% private practice. Okay. Um, And like you were saying, a lot of them aren't comfortable in that. So do you have, like, what is your advice for someone who's having issues with their prosthetics or is not comfortable in their prosthetic? Um, Like, what is your advice for them, like, to do to get a more comfortable prosthetic? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to do is just get, get second opinions uh, visit with people. You know, there's an amputee coalition of uh, uh, America. The amputee coalition does a great job about getting uh, other amputees involved and in, in visiting back and forth. Um, you know, there's a little bit of misinformation in some of those groups, but it's going to happen anytime you get social, you know, media type uh, events in place. But I would just go visit with or call and just visit with. Um, other practitioners or other prosthetists. You know, I talk to people from, gosh, all across the country um, quite a bit, you know, and just trying to give them some information, looking at their legs and and visiting them with the journey that they've been on and uh, seeing if there's something that is a simple, you know, sometimes it's it's a really simple fix. Mm -hmm. And the, the prosthetist that's been working on them has gotten tunnel vision on a little bit of, of stuff. One of the big things that I see is people, you know, they'll say, okay, it's hurting right here at the end of my leg, and I don't see any redness, and I look in their socket, and they've got their sockets been, you know, bubbled out. They've got a big pocket down there for where they've said it's been hurting, mm-hmm. and, you know, as soon as, and, and their nerves have been cut, um, so they don't, you know, they're not necessarily feeling what they think they feel, and I'll have them lean back against the wall, you know, uh, close their eyes and start poking on their leg, and it's, you know, three inches away from where they think it hurts, I'm hitting that spot. Mm. And when they open their eyes, they, they don't believe it. And then, you know, you go over and make a little spot over here where they know it wasn't the spot they was getting them. And uh, it, it solves the problems that they've been having. It, so am I just yapping? <laughs> no, no, it's, that's it's really interesting. <laughs> and, um, but, but, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so the biggest thing is just slowing down and really listening to to people in a lot of the places, and I've worked at some of the places where those those amputees go in, and uh, you know they think that they're going nuts because nobody's really listening to them mm-hmm. um, or getting anything. And then you know, for me, nobody, you know, the, the reality is nobody wants to come see me, you know, and, and yeah. other than maybe my mom or grandmother. <laughs> but you know, and when I step back from that the people that are coming in and really trying to listen to and, and spend time. I think that's the biggest thing is spending an extra five minutes listening to them, trying mm-hmm. to troubleshoot. The, the, the answer is always right in front of me. Yeah. Um, it's just trying to not be inside the box, try to stay out of the box and imagine what they're doing and how 
what they're trying to say uh, is is really going on, and 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 you usually end up figuring it out. It may, you know, me, I'm not very bright, so it may take <laughs> me three or four times. But I'll redo it three or four times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to talk about prosthetics i well, I really want to talk about prosthetics i think it's so interesting but uh before i like really want to get into that i kind of want to talk about like the wounded warriors because you spend a lot of time with them um especially now so um like how have you seen the experiences in the outdoors like add to their lives and kind of help them heal faster um through wwo yeah well i mean that, that's a great question it, it's a, and, and i know you guys have seen this stuff that these guys do, but mm-hmm. it's absolutely changed, you know, my life and just watching not only how they do it, but, uh, what they're able to do while they're there. Um, the very first trip I went on was down in Florida and it was a hog hunt and, and you guys have met, um, JD mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, and I, I, I met him and he'd had trouble with his legs and he'd spent a couple of years down in San Antonio, you know, getting therapy and, uh, you know, I watched him go around, and there was another gentleman there that was a, a special forces guy that was friends with him um, who had a uh, spear that he had been on a hunt that they had bought. He had been on a hunt down in Africa with J.D., so they were friends. And, uh, you know, so we're sitting around, they said, Steve, do you want to, you know, go watch this? I'm like, oh, of course, this would be great. I'd love to get out and check things out. So they take off after a hog. Uh, goes one direction. I kind of think, well, this thing's going to sneak back around here to the the right. So I kind of ease over to the right, and this guy sneaks past me, and I'm like, man, he really moves. I like to think that I'm real sneaky. He <laughs> really moves well, and uh, and uh, you know, he gets over in front of me, and I kind of start watching him and following him. And next thing you know, we got this hog uh, pinned up, and uh, they pull up in this Ranger, and uh, JD's in it, and JD's a uh, a triple amputee, I guess ought to say, his injuries. He's missing both of his legs, short up near his hips, across his femurs, and then his right arm uh, is missing um, above the elbow, between the elbow and the shoulder, um, about mm-hmm. halfway. And so this guy that passes me is uh, not a real big guy, um, but he runs over there and, and to that has a, the spear in one hand. Then he reaches around his neck. And they take off running, and they don't. Um, the guy that was carrying him does, kind of flips him over his shoulder. And, this and is J.D. you're talking was, about. He's carrying J.D.? Yeah, this is J.D. is okay. on this other guy's back. And, and uh, um, you know the other guy as well, but I don't know if I can say anyway. Right. I, but right. Uh, hands him uh, uh, the spear as he's flopping towards the ground, and I'm just standing there with my mouth wide open. And JD um, goes on and, and kills this hog. And while he's doing it, you know, these tusks are right there. I mean, he's literally kind of like R2D2 sitting there, you know, with his spear stabbing this hog, and, uh, which is a nickname that I've given him, so I can say that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, as he's doing it, he's crying, and he's using his, his right arm that's only got, you know, 10 inches of his arm. He's covering up the hog's eyes, and I know this is probably too graphic for you guys to use, but <laughs> in that, you know, in that moment, you know, he's crying, and he doesn't want the hog to see what he's doing. But in that moment, he's not missing his legs. 
you know yeah. he's out there back on the battlefield with his brothers it was it was really really you know pretty emotional for me that at the end of the day just to think about what i got to see and then we sat around that campfire that night and just listened to those guys talking about their stories and talking about the things and the things that uh, they struggle with and being there for each other and there was a couple of new uh, guys on that trip you know that were pretty quiet early on but by the end of the trip you know they're all nearly in tears hugging each other and can't wait to see each other on the next trip and mm -hmm. you can see the hope and mm -hmm. the, you know just the, the the love that they get on those trips um, and it's just affected me you know I just feel like I can't do enough um, mm -hmm. for these guys and you know, I just want them to use me um, however they can. Plus, the, and you guys know how they protect the Wounded Warrior Outdoors. I mean, if you're not about, you know, if it's about anybody that comes along and tries to, you know, use these guys or exploit them in any way, I mean, they get cut out of the loop immediately. Mm -hmm. And it's just really nice that it, over time, the, the new guys have heard about so much about it the healing just starts right, you know, minute one, day one, mm. and it's just so incredible to watch it happen. And then to be able to be there, you know, as somebody who didn't serve, for me, it's extremely, it's it's an honor and extremely humbling, you know, getting accepted into that, that loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like you said, you just try and do what you can, but you do so much for them, and especially, um, like, a lot of them don't have prosthetics going into, some of them don't have prosthetics, and, um, it's kind of crazy, like, as a kid, you grow up, you hear about people losing limbs and getting injured, um, and you don't really think about it that much, but then I'm spending time with the Warriors, like, it doesn't really phase them. Um, I mean, it does in the beginning, obviously, but by that time when you're hanging out with them and they've started to recover, you, sometimes you don't even notice, like, you don't even realize that there's someone who's missing a limb, and Jason being, I think, one of the only people who is still active duty as um, someone who... As an amputee, um, he he doesn't tell anyone, and then he kind of goes on a run maybe with the other Marines, and they, he just takes his leg off, you know, and everyone's like, oh, I'm going to stop complaining now, like this guy has one leg. Um, but And one of, one of the things, um, um, Steve, as you were talking about uh, JD, when, and he's, he has said this before um, <coughs> in our presence at one of the WWO things that, you know, he just wants to be treated like everybody else. He, they, p these guys don't want pity. They want to just get on with their life. You know, they obviously have significant physical issues to deal with, but they just want yeah. to be treated like everybody else, not pitied, not have somebody doing something for them. And JD, you can tell his story. We'll have him on here in one of these podcasts. He's but, so funny. But he was, I mean, he was an elite military sniper, right? I mean, he, he had... Yeah. He was an extremely proficient and um, lethal, you know, person in the military. And, and there's a lot of pride that goes with that. And I'm sure that to get a chance to be on a hunting trip where you can control what you're doing again is a huge catharsis for a lot of these guys to be able to, you know, open up and experience something where they, they have control again. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've seen them kind of go through that and we kind of like go through it together and they're definitely like a family and i know even like we become like family with like used to steve and like we go at uh like wild sheep and we all like treat each other like family and like we're all one and the same 
and we don't treat each other like we're injured or like we have a like a lung disease we treat each other like normal people and it is such like an amazing environment and we have fun we joke around um there's no softies no one gets like extra sympathy (laughs) you just have a bunch of fun and just treat each other like your family and i think that dynamic is also like what helps them kind of get through it you started to say something steve about jd oh well, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the things that you're talking about, the smack talking is, you know, part of the healing. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that, you know, people that haven't been around them that come up and, and, and hear some of the things that we say to each other, like, we'll walk in and I'll have a couple of amputees with me and, you know, and, you know, say something from, hey, why don't you hold that door open, sticks, or, you know, because they're walking <laughs> on artificial limbs. I mean, some of the people look at me like, I am the biggest jerk on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're hanging out with those guys, I mean, they, they respect and love the heck out of that stuff, mm. you know? And, and, you know, that trip that we were on working on um, that Josh. leg for yeah. Josh together, you know, the stuff that you go through, Jen, you know, it moves those guys way more than what you may realize. I know you've mm-hmm. heard that from them, but seeing just your routine and going through that, I mean, those guys look at you as like their warrior sister. I mean, yeah. you are, you know, going through all that stuff, and 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 every one of them, you know, is, uh, you know, is man, I've got it so so easy, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those things where once you 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 get out, you have your injuries, and you've got that warrior mentality, whether you're, you know, you being a young lady that hasn't been to war, or these guys that have been to war. It's the same thread. I mean, you're made of the same thing. You've got that that killer drive and that don't quit attitude that just makes you part of that brotherhood right off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's it's just neat to be around and be a part of and you know be accepted by those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I talked to Ron about this too. Um, it just I I always view them as someone who like had something change so drastically for them. And I kind of grew up like this. So we kind of view each other in, like, they have it harder than I do. And I also don't think we don't, like, put ourselves, like, oh, like, poor us. We kind of all be like, oh, like, let's work through it together. We don't, like, take pity upon ourselves and um, be like, we have it worse. We go through the hardest things. I think in our minds and in my mind, I'm like, they have it harder than I do. I can do my stuff like I'll be fine I will fight through what I have to fight through they have it harder than I do and I think they do the same thing with me they're like oh she has it harder than I do she's just this young girl who has to go through all this stuff and I just have like something that they view as little but I view as so much bigger than what I have and so um what I've learned like because of them is that um even if you lose three limbs even if you go fight and serve your country and come back like you can still joke around, have fun, roast each other to no ex- like to no limits, and I have learned so much from spending time with them, and I've definitely taken less pity upon myself because I'm like they go through all of this, and they act like nothing's wrong with them, even though they have things that they have to go through. So I've learned a lot from them, and I think each one of us has learned something from spending time with the warriors. Um, and so, like, what's something that you've learned? from them that's kind of impacted you i know we talked about it a little bit but if you have anything else you want to add to that yeah i mean you know yeah just the first thing i get is just how humbling and how blessed i am to get to be on those trips 
and the thing that you know most recently that uh, has kind of affected me and that I've taken from them is just that you know here here you are around a bunch of guys and gals who've uh, a lot of times uh, been dealt these cards where they've been out and they may have had their brothers that didn't get to come home with them and that may be the reason that they're put their legs on every day and work hardest to not let you know any of those memories and 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 those warriors uh they don't want to live a life of regret having been that those guys you know paid that sacrifice and so you know recently for me is like okay you know i ran track in college but you know my ankles hurt a little bit here and i don't i may run some little short sprints just to tease some of the younger kids because even though I'm chubby and bald and fat, I'm still pretty dang fast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you beat David in yeah. that uh, backpack contest. Yeah, yeah. Up in Reno. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's kind of one of those things where everybody looks at me and they're like, there's no way this guy's going to beat me, but I'm, I'm already, you know, baited him in right off the bat. <laughs> but, you know, just doing that stuff and being on those trips, you know, it makes me, you know, right now I've got to go, I'm, I'm going to lose. 35 pounds and I've started running again just because you know it's really pathetic for me to sit here and come up with any excuse um, um, with those guys having sacrificed um, like they have so that's just one of those things that I've started I running again on my own and, and mm-hmm. I'm doing it you know like in my mind it's, uh, it's it's because of those guys sacrifices in a weird kind of twisted way the stuff that I don't want to do because you know, I had coaches and everybody else making me do it for years, and I'm and I, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I need to, and it's going to make me a better, uh, you know, healthier person to be around my family and stuff for years to come. Yeah, yeah, I know. I hate working out and have doing stuff that I have to do, but in the end, it all kind of works out. Um, That's true. She does hate that. Yeah, I always have to kick yeah. her back to do it. It's not news to anyone. <laughs> It's funny how you can freaking have a workout and feel great right after doing it, and the next morning it, it starts all over with, why in the hell am I doing this? I don't like <laughs> yeah. doing this. Yes, <laughs> and especially, like, I, I know when I do it, I'm like, all right, I got to go on a hunt. Like, that's my motivation. So people who just kind of work out for fun, like, what's wrong with you people? Like, Well, you do work out for tennis, though. Oh, well, but I'm required to by my coach. I know, again, <laughs> so, something like, you're required to do. I know, so it's just like, yeah. oh, like, it's a Saturday. Let's go run a mile real quick. And I'm like, no. Um, but kind of speaking of stuff, like activities that I don't like to do, um, what activities or habits have you seen that are most beneficial to warriors who return home injured? Well, you, you know, I, I think the, the ones that, you know, in, in my view is from, of the world through prosthetics, you know, but the, the warriors who, you know, take the time and put their legs on a little bit every day or get out of bed and, and go through a routine of just being disciplined um, uh, makes a world of difference for them. Um, you know, and from my perspective, the, the guys and gals that put their legs on every day um, to start shrinking their limbs, even if they're, you know, hurting a little bit in between their appointments, um, you know, it really makes a, a big difference. Um, the, the other thing is just reaching out and having a, you know, being willing to t- talk to somebody and getting uh, their brothers and sisters around them that they can talk to and having that person to talk to a lot of times uh, is the thing that keeps them, keeps them going the right direction because it's easy 
you know, during that transition coming back, you know, where they don't have a mission, um, um, it, it's a tough time a lot of times. And that's where, you know, we're lucky we get to see what WWO does, and there's only so many people that WWO can help. But I think that's where a lot of those, you know, that 22 a day that everybody talks about mm-hmm. committing suicide, I think that's mm-hmm. where they a lot of that stuff falls into. So, you know, having a mission, you know, WWO gives them a mission and then gives them a mission further out, that makes, a, I think, a huge, a huge difference. And then, uh, you know, just finding something to fill that void of what they're used to and to keep their mind, you know, occupied and working towards something because, uh, you know, a lot of times when they're over there, and, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think, you know, being around a lot of it, um, you know, they're so busy, they don't have time to deal with the the reality. It's kind of like in college, I worked in the emergency room for a while, and you got to where, you know, I wasn't going in if we had somebody um, after a car wreck that we've done CPR on for an hour and a half, you know, it was a job. I'm looking at it like a car that I'm working on, um, whereas the physician that was, you know, working it would go in and talk with the family. Well, I would never see that side of it, so I became very, you know, insensitive, really, to all of that process because I'm looking at it like this is a job, this is what you do, and I lost a lot of that compassion, you know, going through that stuff. Mm. I just rambled on about a bunch of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that made sense. You, you yeah. did. You did bring up the twenty-two mm. a day uh, of veterans that take their lives, and I, I know I sent you the the link to my brother's music video. He's got a song out that addresses that. We can put that in your no, show, put notes. It in the show notes. It's Perfect. a really good song and has a good message. Yeah. And they yeah. worked. They worked with Wounded Warrior in that, and he was an amputee as well. That's my um, brother, Danny Griego. Yeah, and that's a really good video. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so we've talked a lot about the Warriors, and you talked about how Matt works for you, um, kind of with you. How did did you kind of know Matt before you started working with WWO, or did that come as a result of working with it? No, I knew him uh, before. So Matt's story, I saw him. It's kind of funny. I saw him, and I met him in a bow shop um, here in Wichita, and. Uh, I went in, and there's this guy missing both of his legs in front of me, but he's standing on this X3, which is a military uh, prosthetic knee. I'm standing behind him in line, and I watched him kind of walk, and I was like, oh, man, I, I wish I wish he'd come see me. So I asked him, I was like, how do you like that X3? And he turned around and kind of looked at me funny, like, nobody knows what that thing is. And uh, he said, oh, I like it, you know, real well. It, 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 does, a lot of, it does a lot of good for me. And I said, you know, I said, did you serve? And he said, yeah. I said, well, thanks for your service, and stood there in line. And I watched him. He was with his wife and two daughters, and uh, he was using canes at the time. And uh, I watched him start to walk out the door, and I was next in line to check out. I had ordered, uh, I think, two dozen arrows I was picking up, because my own little world of things, I figure I get about ten good arrows out of two dozen. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) start slinging them and, and trying to index them and see what works out the best. So he's walking out. I run over and I said, hey, I, sorry. I said, my name's Steve Peoples, and I build artificial limbs in town. I said, and uh, he reached in his pocket and pulled out one of my cards and said, this Steve Peoples? And I was like, yeah. Like, where did you get that? He said, I just saw this uh, redheaded uh, guy named Jacob over at Midwest Hunt Fest, 
and he gave me her card, and uh, he walked up. I didn't know he was an amputee, and uh, said I needed to come see you. And so there, hmm. you know, it was just kind of one of those funny little oh. God things. That's so and, cool. uh, Yeah, about eight months, probably six months later, um, I've got a guy named Matt Amos on my schedule, and I'm not thinking anything, but I go in, and it's a uh, new patient. I go in and visit with him, and here, here's the guy that I saw in the bow shop. So we started talking and and uh, just visiting with him and seeing what he what his goals were and seeing what, you know, he needed to do. And I looked at his, you know, limbs, and I, I really thought I could do a lot of good for him. And so I told him what I thought we ought to do, and I said, why don't you go home and, you know, talk about it with your wife, pray about it, you know, swap the practitioners. I'm not pushy, um, but, um, you know, make sure it's something you want to do. And he was like, no, I want to do it right now. I'm like, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll cast because <laughs> he lives out of town. And then uh, um, you just call me tomorrow and let me know if you want uh, me to go ahead and make these things. So, I mean, the next morning at, at uh, 7.45, my phone's, you know, ringing, and, it's Marin. Okay, go ahead and make them. So I'm like, okay. So I had him come in the next week, and he put the sockets on, and uh, um, I looked at him and then attached them to his legs, and he stood up and got rid of his, dropped his cane, and started walking around the office. And uh, <laughs> we got done, and uh, he's like, man, these are, he's still really good. And I, I got lucky uh, on his legs, but he's like, these still really good. I can, I can walk on these. And I'm like, well, that's, that's good. And uh, <laughs> so we got to the end of the appointment, and I ended up taking off his legs and uh, putting his old ones back on, and I threw them in the trash, the ones that I had made for him. And uh, he's like, you know, what are you doing? He was kind of mad, and I was like, well, I'm throwing these things away. These aren't good enough. He's like, those are the best legs I've ever had. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to semi-foul language here for a minute. <laughs> um, I, I told him, I said, you know, if, if you eat, dog shit for breakfast every morning and pardon my french but that's kind of <laughs> how i talk a lot of french food does and, taste like that You're right. yeah. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and i said one day i came in and i put a little whipped cream on it i was like you're going to tell me that's the best breakfast you've ever had but the fact of the matter is is it's still dog shit that you're eating i was like come back next week and uh you can bleep that out of here <laughs> so, uh, come back come back next week and uh, i'll have something that i think will be a little bit better for you so um I hurried up, made some sockets, and got him back in in a couple of days. And um, um, those sockets looked a lot better. Um, I made six before I was happy, but he didn't know what he was, you know, in for. Mm -hmm. And so here he is. He's been an amputee for four years. He's been all over the country, and nobody's ever taken the time to give him the right tools to make him some decent leg sockets. And he thinks he's crazy. He sees all these other people that are um, out doing stuff. And at first, you no, know, he's just pumped up. That, Man, I can't wait till they see me walking. You know, and then we worked on it. He's got a lot of heterotrophic ossification around his hip. So his hip range of motion, you know, he's walking now. I swear some of that stuff is broken up. Mm -hmm. Whereas hip range of motion is better. And he walks better than what I ever thought he would. And it continues to improve on and off, which has been really interesting to me. Um, so the next week, he's just coming in all the time. Every new patient, Matt's acting the girls up front. Um, at the reception area, I is just coming in next. Okay, I'm going to come in, and he'll just come in and visit with the, the patients. And uh, one thing led to another, and um, we couldn't get him to stay away. So <laughs> we offered, we offered. He asked, told me he wanted to come work for me, and and he was pretty angry by the time it all 
got said and done. You know, he was real happy at first walking, but he was angry that he spent three years of his life, you know, walking around on those things, and then it just became his goal that he wants everybody to have better legs, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just been, it's really been great um, having him around. Um, just more than anything, it's just how, you know, people empathize with him and, um, and he's very encouraging and very motivating. You know, I've got 90-year-old men that I'll tell the same thing for six months. Matt will walk into the room telling the exact same thing, and all of a sudden they start doing it. And it's like, <laughs> man, it's hard to argue with success. If, you know, as much as I want to be like, that dang, that's what I've been saying all this time. Um, <laughs> they, for whatever reason, you know, him missing his limbs, um, it works. And it's just been a blessing having him. You know, it's like having a little brother, you know, mm-hmm. Um, um, an angry little brother, um, <laughs> a grumpy, a grumpy little brother there at the office all the time. And it's really been it's been phenomenal having him around. It's just made a real, real difference in um, the communication with patients. Yeah, yeah, I love Matt, and he was. I think he was one of the first wounded warriors I met. Or was that he was one of the first? He was the second. Yeah, he yeah, was, he was you met second. him in Colorado on a deer hunt after you met Brian. Yeah, and um, he actually, one of the kids thought his leg was so cool. This kid was like, I want to say like almost a year old. And so he just took his leg off and like threw it on the ground. I was like, here, play with it. And then the, the little kid was like, um, he like backed away from it after that. <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah. I don't know what you just did, but that was not normal. Um, but so I think like, all this prosthetics is like very, very interesting. Um, and I remember, I, I forget who it was, but they were talking about Matt's leg and how that he could walk a little better if he took maybe, like, an inch off. He was, like, an inch shorter, but he didn't want to be shorter than someone else in your office he's, like, a rivalry with or something. I don't know. Someone mentioned yeah. that. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, but I know, like, you, you built legs for JD or something, and um, obviously Matt's a double amputee. So I was kind of curious, like, are they going to be the same height as they were before they got injured, or do you just kind of work it, with however it goes yeah, best? Yeah, so I'll uh, I'll I'll put them whatever height they want to be. Can um, I can I get but, that? You know, we try. Can Jennifer yeah. and I have What's that option? <laughs> Jennifer and I, would yeah, I yeah, we, we both got, like that option. It'll be like a Seinfeld where they've got the shoes that they're lifting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> right. Yes. <laughs> little people were taller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's different. He looks good. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so usually I try to keep their center of gravity lower, um, and I keep them low at first. Um, just because it's, you know, the balance is a lot easier. They're also a lot closer to the ground, so falling's not near as hard, as well as the moments. You know, you think about the moments going through those knee joints um, and and through the hips and stuff. You know, on long legs, if you reach out 15 degrees, you know, it may be three feet in front of you. Or if you're near the ground and you reach out 15 degrees, and I'm talking about a, you know, a trunk versus hip flexion angle, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're down low, it may only be a foot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a lot easier to control them um, down low. But, you know, we'll make them however tall they want to be. I've got one guy that, that looks like a minute bowl every Halloween. <laughs> you know, we've got him some long legs. He looks like he could just, I mean, he ought to be doing sheetrock in the things on the <laughs> ceiling, you know. But, but and, and that makes it kind of fun, you know, for the double amputees. And then, you know, you guys know Brian, mm-hmm. um, and on his leg, I make it longer every now and then just so I can watch him walk in a circle. <laughs> so, but, but uh, no, there is... Uh, <laughs> Whatever entertains you. Whatever yeah, entertains you, Steve. Sometimes it's just, 
sometimes it's just for my own giggles. But, <laughs> no, you know, I want to leave them wherever they want to be and wherever they feel comfortable. And I really try to make height a non-issue um, and, 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 and really focus on comfort just because, you know, a lot of times there's pressure to be a certain height or this or this or that. Oh, um, gee, what's that ones, like? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the ones that really get it and really are really going after it, it seems like they just don't care. I'd rather mm-hmm. stay, home, stay down here because I can do this, this, and this. Other people, it's, well, I'd rather not be able to do those things, and but at least be this tall. And it just depends on the person and, and you know, what their goals are. And it's always interesting to me, um, you know, trying to trying to guess, okay, what's this person going to be like after, after I've shake, shook their hand and, and visited with them for a little bit? Because, you know, I'm wrong about 50% of the time, you know. They'll surprise mm-hmm. me on which which psychologically they are, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, like, one other thing that I know, I think, I forget who it was, but um, one of the amputations they had was at one of the hospitals where they were injured, and it wasn't, like, that great of an amputation. Do you ever have to have someone uh, maybe have, like, surgery again to fix the way um, they had the amputation done, or do you just kind of work around if it was not done as well as it could have been? Yeah, and, and that's a good, that's a great question. Um, I'm I'm pretty fortunate that I've gone in and watched a lot of amputations, and uh, and really the the thing that I think that makes me get lucky um, at making the limbs is I've got a pretty good uh, sense. I go pretty slow, just kind of palpating or feeling the end of their leg. And have them put it through a range of motion where I can feel kind of, you know, underneath the muscles that are tied over the end of the uh, residuum or the end of their stump, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and can imagine how everything's moving, whether it's tendons or muscle across the bottom of the bone. And um, I'm, I'm good at kind of picking up little fluid pockets and stuff where there may be a piece of tissue tearing it and causing it to get inflamed. Um, and you'd be surprised most of the time... People will be having trouble. They'll never take an X-ray after the amputation. You know, they mm-hmm. take X-rays every every office visit until the thing's gone, and then maybe once, you know, right after the amputation, and then don't take it again. So, if I feel something, I'll definitely send them to a, uh, somebody or their surgeon that had done the amputation until what I think is going on. And 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 I have quite a few people that have struggled for years and years. And it's, it's a simple thing like uh, 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 bone spurs on the end of their leg or heterotrophic ossification that needs to be, you know, tried to, you know, take it out, clean it up. Or, you know, on the baloney stuff, a lot of them just kind of get a guillotine or a straight cut through the tibia and fibula um, um, in a hurry. Um, and they don't spend any time rounding the tibia mm-hmm. or they'll leave the fibula the same length as the tibia, which makes it really difficult. Uh, to weight bear on, so those kind of things I call fairly often, and I'm like, you know, they, and by the time they come see me, like, you know, we, uh, you know, kind of talked about they've been all over the country, mm-hmm. and I, I look at them and, and and I'm like, well, let's let's just look at this. I'll send them down the street while they're in town to get an X-ray, and they'll come back. I'm like, well, this is the problem. It's never going to work, and you know, here they are. That's got to be kind of devastating it, to them for to is. think of it's another it surgery. It's like. If it had been done them right well, the first time or optimally the first time, you know, 
Yeah, and, and most of the time it's pretty frustrating, and it, it, it ticks me off because here they've been, you know, five years looking for the stuff, and the answer's right there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's you know, another surgery is frustrating, but most of the time it's just relief that there's an answer. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is going to fix it. I promise you. Right. Like, if you get this taken care of, you know, we're up and walking. Let's, let's have you dancing by Thanksgiving or mm-hmm. let's have you, you know, running by Christmas. And I can look at them and, and tell them that's honestly where they're going to be. And it's, it's a relief because, you know, they see so many people that aren't doing well. They honestly, they start to think they're crazy or they're just not as tough. You know, we don't feel up as fast as we used to. And they start just, you know, second-guessing everything. And that's what's kind of neat for me is going on that journey with them. We can meet them at the, at, the, at the lowest of lows, and you get to slowly see them get back to being who they are. And by the time they're running around and doing, you know, everything they used to do, I mean, it's a different person. And, and it's just, you know, and it's pretty special that you get to go on that ride with them and help out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was kind of curious like it, I love like hearing how sometimes it's like a little fix that will help them and it helps them so much and that's like so interesting and so I'm sure for them it's so nice to hear but do you ever work with people um and I'm assuming you don't just work with like wounded warriors and vets but do you work with people who maybe like had cancer and then had to get like a limb amputated or maybe they were born without a limb do you work with them as well oh of course yeah we've got lots of um of cancer, um, and you know, most of the people that I work with um, aren't. Well, most of the people I work with probably are uh, traumatic amputations, um, mm-hmm. just because of what I do. But at my office, um, and the guys that work for me, you know, ninety-five percent of amputations um, are a result of vascular complications in diabetes or um, vascular uh, disease. Yeah. yeah, peripheral vascular disease. Mm-hmm. You know, two to three percent, depending on where you are in the country, are cancer, and then two to three percent are trauma. So I see a lot of trauma and a lot of um, um, younger uh, population, as well as you know, I, I, I see ninety-year-olds too. It's not that I only see um, younger, but I, I see stuff that's uh, pretty difficult uh, most of the time, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, a lot of fun. You know the. The cancer, the kids that we see with cancer, um, it, it's just that that's such a special journey to go on mm-hmm. just because you're going to have years of watching them grow up, you know, so they come in as little little tykes and, um, you know, next thing you know, you're rolling around in the office, you know, mm-hmm. laughing, next, <laughs> you know, before you know it, they're off to prom and graduating college and married and kids and it's just, it's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun with those really pushing those kids. Um, and, and, and adults, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of anger and there's a, one of the things I've been pretty fortunate at is being able to read people and, and getting them motivated and, um, getting them ready to do the work they need to do. And it becomes just fun. And then, you know, you know, pushing them, same thing as what WWA does. Those people start pushing each other and, you know, it's just funny what a little bit of a challenge will do, um, to get somebody motivated, whether it be to get over a hill to shoot something, or just that I'm I'm uh, I'm in the army and that guy's in the Marines and he said we can't do that and he's going to do that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it works, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but those kids, we see a lot of uh, um, 
they miss rotation plasties, um, which is where they say you're missing your, or you've got cancer um, um, on your femur. Um, so they'll take your uh, leg and amputate down below the knee, take your femur out and attach it in your hip and, and uh, build a hip, prosthetic hip socket inside there. So now your foot's been turned around uh, backwards and your ankle becomes your knee. I've which, heard about that. Okay. Yeah, so we see a lot of those. I'm finding um, myself for knowing that. Which is interesting just because, you know, we try to make them so nobody knows because, you know, when they take your foot and pull it up there, people are like, oh, my gosh, but they still got their knee, and and, and it, it works really well. So we see a lot of that. You'd never know. Playing, We've got them playing basketball and um, running track, and, you know, the kids, we try to get them all involved in um, different sports and, you know, just have them be normal, mm-hmm. you know. And that's one of the things that's kind of neat is these kids that, you know, have cancer and get through that stuff and wear a prosthesis, you know, we live in a time where it's cool to have a prosthesis. Hmm. Yeah. You, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago where if you had a prosthesis, I mean, mom and dad would be telling you, hey, don't, don't even, don't look at them, you know, don't, right. don't say anything. And, and we were building these, you know, prosthetic limbs that were, you know, big old foam stretched over the top and we're trying to make them look like they have hair on them and, you know, they were terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that's coming along, and I, I know with Ron, you talked a little bit about the osseointegration integration that stuff. Oh, and, I was going to ask you, know, you a stuff. question about that. Come on, Steve. Yeah. That's right. Didn't so he's, he's a mind reader. So, no, that's, <laughs> she was just about to ask you that. So yeah, go, go ahead and Yeah, Ron was telling me about it, and it sound, sounded pretty interesting. So I was going to ask you as someone who, you know, it's pretty knowledgeable about that. Maybe you can just let him answer it then. You know what? I just... <laughs> For love. <laughs> oh, women, Steve. Oh, my gosh. It doesn't yeah, count if she yeah. asks you the question. What's your, what's your question, Jen? <laughs> well, that was my question. I, You know, I kind of oh, asked it, but then my drink. dad cut me off. You know, maybe if he'd just oh. let me talk. I shouldn't let you drink during the podcast. Oh, cut you off from the question. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That was uncalled for. Margaritas out there in Arizona. <laughs> so tell no, us about osseous integration yeah. prosthetics. Yeah, so osseointegration is basically where they take an a intermedullary rod and uh, kind of like the same thing they do above a knee replacement, they put that into the, the, uh, the bone cord- canal cord- between cord- or, you know, up the middle of the bone, and then uh, it goes through the skin, and they've got a couple of pieces on the inside and then a cap outside that they attach the prosthesis to, whether it be a, most of the time it's a above knee, um, um, as well as they're starting to do more below knees and, and as well as some arms. Um, so it goes through the skin, and then the prosthesis attaches to it. So it's a really a neat, a neat thing in that there's no translation, any movement of your bone. You know, you move the prosthesis. The downside right now is, um, is that uh, you've got to be on immunosuppressant drugs, mm-hmm. and they typically have an infection about one time a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's really neat, um, and it's it's a good option for um, you. Know, you guys know Jason, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he just had him done, and I'm real excited for him. You know, his his HO on his legs was was just really, 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 really hard to deal with. Um, and uh, you know, he's got him done, and I think it's going to be a great option for him. And he's really the only guy that I've you know, really encouraged to go ahead and do it. You know, he's got twins 
that are uh, two years old, two and a half years old, and, uh, um, you know, waiting for 20 years, you know, the next thing that will probably be coming out is they're going to be growing legs with your own DNA where you don't have to be on those immunosuppressant drugs. Um, and that's really going to be a wonderful thing, you know. And, and we'll it sounds like Frankenstein. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then they could do the transplants and... To explain know, explain why they have to use an immunosuppressant. They're not... So they're putting someone else's bone into well, no, it? Well, no, because isn't it like an open body, wound? Right? So they're it has they're just doing it because of the... They, um, and and I've, I've, I've read there's a, a couple of them, and that was my thinking originally was like yours. Why are they taking immunosuppressants? Because there's, but that foreign body in that open barrier, um, I, you know, I recently, and actually it's been within the last two weeks, and I haven't read, but I've talked to somebody that said they weren't taking immunosuppressant drugs. Everybody else that I've talked to was on immunosuppressant therapy, um, which was, um, you know, and basically what that is, I guess what I would say to people out there, it's just, um, drugs that knock down the immune system so your body doesn't um, reject um, the limb. And the same thing they do with the transplants of the hands. or. Um, but they don't do it for, yeah. like, <clears throat> knee replacements or hip replacements, um, you know, where they put metal in there. Usually that isn't right. antigenic and develop a big immune response. I can understand the foreign body response, but because of the increased risk for infection with, you know, at least there's a, there's going to be some break right in the skin where that metal right. hub or whatever is. Maybe I'm missing something. There must be something with that um, intraosseous implant that makes it cause more inflammation than the other ones. Yeah, and that's the only. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. You know, cause the titanium stuff. We worked on 3D printing that stuff ten years ago, and it was never ever brought up, you know, immunosuppressant stuff. Now, they did have some rejection issues with some of the different materials um, that they were using, um, and that was more, I think, with the Delrin on the joints that they were uh, using back then um, was porous, and they were getting infection, you know, underneath the skin. But And, I, and I'm like, you are on that stuff. But that's what everything that I've read is the immunosuppressant mm. therapy on those things, and, and I you know, haven't gone to the course. Um, I'm trying to get in right now to where I can go work with them um, at Walter Reed a little bit, just where I can take care of uh, a few of the people that want to still come come out to Wichita to see me. It sounds like a great uh, idea, though, to be able to have the, your skeleton bear the weight like it was designed to do rather than the soft tissues having that with the breakdown and the ulcerations and all that sort of stuff and the hyperostosis, too, because it's just... The, the mechanics have changed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that that you're talking about is one of the big things is just is, is that bone density. You know, they're not when I'm building a prosthesis, you know, we're not putting any weight on that skeleton up until higher than where the prosthesis is. So you know, on a bone scan it's it's really interesting for me to watch bone scans and look at them of an amputee that's been an amputee for uh, or bone density study, pardon me. Uh, um, of it, somebody that's been an amputee for a few years because it's 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 crazy how you know how little bone density there is you know mm -hmm. from yeah, what is that Wolf's Law or I think that was Wolf's Law. It's been too long. You'll remember that stuff. You're a smarter <laughs> Wolf's Law, smart guy. <laughs> but uh, just where uh, you know you're gonna 
get more density secondary to the stress of the the bone. Um, but it's right. pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. The arms are where they've really done some neat stuff. Um, and actually, with the osseo integration, you know, the, the one of the other things that they, you know, um, actually Matt asked, he got set next to a, uh, one of the osseo integration. Um, company reps on a plane and was visiting with them and talking huh. with them about, you know, just temperature, you know, what happens if you're up, you know, climbing a mountain or you're up in the snow hunting, you know, with the temperature with that intermediary rod going up through that thing. And, it, you know, it's one of the things they didn't have an answer for, which was kind of interesting, but, you know, I think if it starts getting cold, you're going to wrap stuff around the end of your leg and try to warm it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, kind of funny. But the upper extremity stuff is really neat, um, just because um, you know the they're doing a lot of muscle recognitions for these myoelectric, which are the um, you know where we measure muscle activity and get the hand to open or close or elbow to move. But uh, they're doing pattern recognition, so you can go through a series of movements that the prosthesis will pick up that you're wanting it to do something, and it happens really fast where you can get you know, coordinated movements of the elbow and the hand and the wrist and or the wrist, um, which makes it kind of kind of really neat, uh, some of the things they're working on. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the DARPA arm, but uh, Mm-mm. anyway, it's, a, it's an arm that I think Jason's also gotten approved for. I think he may have been the ninth to get approved, or it may be well past that now, but it's a osseo integrated arm and elbow and then it has a, a band that is uh, a bunch of myocytes uh, that's flipped on over the arm over the bicep and tricep so just above where the prosthesis attaches and then uh, it's measuring the electrical activity all the way around the arm at uh, I believe it's eight different myocytes looking for different patterns and looking for different things but the goal that they're working on with that is actually to get individual finger movement to where you could uh, theoretically uh, get to where you could play the piano once they. Um, Maybe that would help Jennifer. She took awesome. she took piano lessons for ten years and can't play. You know what? So That's maybe not she needs nice. one of those. Remember, she refused <laughs> yeah, to do both. that at the uh, at the church. Uh, no, I did play. I just forgot it. <laughs> I tried. Oh, okay. Well, back to the osteo whatever the thing it's called i don't speak doctor yet and this is not has not been on an episode of Grey's anatomy so and i kind of ask been to more doctor's appointments than a lot of physicians <laughs> okay country, nice okay try. i speak a little doctor <laughs> un, pa- un poquito yeah. that's that's spanish that's not even yeah. how do you say un poquito how do you say a little bit in doctor exactly we, i say time to go anyway <laughs> so okay so I, tr- I kind of asked around this, but I'm still a little confused. Shopping. So if it's... Stop it. That's not nice. <laughs> so, okay, if it's the metal sticking out of your leg, but it's, like, attached to the bone, how does the prosthetic, like, attach to it and, like, still, like, move with your leg? Is it, like, attached to the metal, but then there's still, like, a socket around it, so it, like, wraps around your leg? Or yeah, it- so there's no socket. So the bone... The rod comes out of the end, has a little plastic piece, typically... And then, then it's basically, it's not this round rod coming out. The mm-hmm. part that attaches to the prosthesis will have a couple of angles on it so that it kind of clips in. It'll, it'll almost be like an, 
uh, an air chuck or a, a pneumatic tool or mm-hmm. um, basically a, a ratchet snapping into the, the end of the leg. And so let's say that you're missing your leg across the bone on your, um, on your thigh. So you would build a, your prosthesis down to where you get the knee center where you want it. So you would build a spacer above the, the knee on the prosthesis coming up that attaches onto the rod. Or that rod would go right into the knee unit. And then the knee and prosthetic foot is underneath there. So it's just their skin that's hanging there. It's not doing anything. It's not in a socket. It's just their normal skin um, and muscle that's left hanging there. And then their their muscles that control that femur, you're actually getting pressure through your femur, up through your you know hip and pelvis, and then onto your spine. Um, and so your bone is carrying all of the weight right back like it would be you know, with normal anatomy, which is awesome to think about. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's that's so awesome. And Ron was saying like it would help them a lot. Like you, people mentioned in doctor language that <laughs> you know less bone density stuff, and then the whole Improved or more bone, bone density. density because of less bone density like problems, mm-hmm. and then like. The whole yes, bearing we've, weight we've, thing. We've covered that, Jack. Okay, you know what? Thank you. You're Don't so try to translate mean. it to seventeen-year-old hood. You're so mean. Okay. Well, yes. Well, talking about all this is so interesting, and um, I love hearing about it. And I'll probably ask you a bunch of questions when I see you next, because you know I know you love talking to me. But um, <laughs> um, but yeah, for saying hello, um, thank you so much for coming on here and dealing with my dad and talking to me about all this stuff it's it's so interesting to me and it's so cool and obviously it has a great impact on m- many many people like like warriors cancer victims and things like that so uh what you do is amazing and watching you do it is so fun and hearing you talk about it is so interesting so thank you for what you do and thank you for coming on here and talking to us about it um i yeah. truly think it's amazing what you do and it's so so cool you're very you're very humble steve but you make a tremendous difference for a lot of Mm -hmm. people's lives and um you're a good friend and we're very grateful for you taking the time and explaining things even in a way that jennifer can understand them wow that's not nice (laughs) (laughs) which isn't hard for me that's about the top of my i'm I'm sure a lot brighter than than i am which isn't saying much but no i appreciate it you guys and i'm proud of proud to know you guys and proud to know your family and it's just uh fun watching these kids of yours uh yours bob and carol i'm sure she's around there somewhere they're just wonderful kids and uh, it's an honor getting to be around them getting to know you guys thank you yeah it's been great getting to know you and can't wait to see you more and annoy you more because i know it's you know what we do best um (laughs) don't annoy me well (laughs) that's what you tell me but you just go home to your wife you're like oh my gosh that girl jen cannot stand her oh yeah no no my wife's easy you guys have team up against me (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you for taking us on this prosthetic journey it was very interesting and i loved hearing about it um and you know life is short and so am i and i'm just trying to make the most out of every day and i hope that you guys do too i hope you all have a great journey and you make it an epic one